Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode eight. Hello, we're back. We're, we're back. on episode eight. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for um, emailing us and writing. And um, it's so fun because people will listen that we know will listen to the podcast and uh, live text us while they're listening to it. <laughs> and, uh, and guess what? What? Okay, remember my friend uh, Just Ben Benoit, who yes. I said I always Just Benoit. Pre- but Just Benoit. Um, how I said I've been trying for years. I've known him for like 15 years and I've been trying to pronounce her name. Name Benoit. Yeah. She finally changed it. Did she really? Yes. So she said, she texted me and said, like, you know, ha 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 ha. Oh my gosh, we did change it to Benoit. We moved, they moved out of Detroit where people would only say Benoit. Because <laughs> they were, because Detroit? Benoit. Yeah. <laughs> and then they said in uh, their new town in Michigan that everybody uh, pronounces it Benoit because they're cultured and fancy. No offense to Detroit. Um, I have this, I have a friend and I don't know if she listens or not, but I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this. Um, when she got married, her husband's last name was Kalanick. Oh, geez. But so she was like, oh no, no, we pronounce it Kalanick because it's oh, yeah. K-L- <laughs> but oh. it's K-L-O and I don't know. But anyway, I mean, it could be either way, but her, his family pronounces it Kalanick and she was like, oh no, we are not the Kalanicks. <laughs> we are like the, the Kalanicks. Weiner Wiener dilemma. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I actually got a te- text from a friend, too, while listening to an episode. Uh-huh. Um, and I told you about this, but um, so my friend Grace, um, who I've talked about on the podcast before, she texted me and was like, oh, my God, your story about the... Oh, um, yeah. About Henry... I can't remember his last name, but... Um, the w- Glendening. Glendening. And Casey was, Berg. Yes. Yeah, so they were the ones that you told the story where... Um, they sent a mix, a missed text and they ended up getting together and she was like 30 years older than him. And Grace was like, oh my God, I listened to that episode and I looked up their pictures and I realized that last year while she was at like the symphony, she sat next to them and she had actually sent um, Aaron and I, our friends, Aaron and I, a message saying like, oh my God, I sat next to this like 50-year-old woman and, like, a 20-year-old dude, and he was super hot, and um, and they were totally, like, holding hands and making out, and, like, I just, I had so many feelings about it. It was so amazing. <laughs> Little did she know she was sitting next to one of the greatest love stories ever told. I know, but I just think it's so hilarious. Um, wow. I swear, the world is so crazy small. It's insane. It's so small. So maybe if you guys, uh, you know, have some connection to our stories today, maybe uh, give us a call. Yeah. Or a text. Don't call us. You can, if you have my number, you can call me. I won't answer it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah. I will. No, me neither. (laughs) Um, Okay. So let's get to our quickies. All right. Okay. So Jen, do you have a favorite candy? Um, Yes. Well, you should already know what my favorite candy is because I've literally brought them to every single podcast <laughs> Is it fancy Reese's peanut butter cups? Uh, it's Yes. So it's peanut butter cups. But yeah, we've been doing the fancy organic ones. But I, I'm, I like a good Reese's. You like too. a good Reese's? Well, peanut butter cups. Do you, do you love Reese's enough to break the law for it? I mean, maybe. Well... <laughs> 
Sebastian <laughs> Swinston has the balls to do okay. it. Also for Reese's. And he is from Blaine, Minnesota. And also he, for Reese's? Yes. So, okay, this is my guy. This is your guy. So right. he loves them so much that he was willing to, he stole his great-grandfather's car, his Hyundai Santa Fe, and drove it a mile and a half to a convenience store just to get the candy that he loved. How old is he? Uh, well, what makes his story so great oh, okay, is sorry, that Sebastian ahead. is four years old. Oh, how cute. <laughs> I mean, he like, but not cute. Right. <laughs> he executed some like Ocean's Eleven level shit. Like, so awesome. So he used his great-grandfather's walker to like stand up on and then get the keys from the hook and then when no one was looking, he got he ran out to the car and drove away. So he he stretched like as much as he could and he backed he backed out of the driveway. He wove through the neighborhood and then he turned onto a fucking four <gasps> lane road in morning rush hour traffic. Oh my god, thank god it was rush hour traffic. So all the cars were not moving quickly. Yes, right? Oh so my god. so they were they started getting all of these Report the police got starting reports for people a who were like, on the loose. and they, it was going like 10 to 15 miles an hour. So he was go, driving erratically, but he was also going very slow. It just it's so amazing to me because, like, I have a three and a half year old, and he's still so little, it, he makes me like hold his hand to poop. I can't imagine him like executing <laughs> like that kind of plan by himself, like, or even like grabbing a tissue on his own, you know? Oh my gosh, or just seeing over the like, did he have to sit on, like, a stack of phone books? No, so, he, I mean, he, he was like, driving. Little he said, rascal style. <laughs> he, like, he just kind of, like, stood. Like, he, like, stretched his oh, foot to the bottom and kind of stood up so he could barely see over the top. Um, and so he actually, he hit a couple of mailboxes and a tree, and he lost part of the, part of the bumper in a neighbor's yard. And, um, and the police caught up with him when he got to the convenience store. Um, and you know, everything, everyone's okay. He was fine. Nobody was hurt. God. And there is this amazing video of him being interviewed by the, by the local news that we'll share, um, on our Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, which is all at dumb love podcast. And, uh, and he's so, he's a little, he's a baby. He's just, they were like, where were you going? And he was like, to the gas station to get Wheezes. (laughs) (laughs) He is my dude. I know. So I feel like that's, that's did they let, well, here's the thing. Did they reward him with Reese's or did they punish him by not letting him have the Reese's? You know what? They don't say, but the parent, I mean, they interview his parent and his great grandfather, and they're all kind of like, ah, like, you know. I mean, like, this could have been a very different story. And it's um, very scary, but you have to kind of um, respect his hustle. Right? And his, uh, he's a self starter. Like, the fact that he, like, put all of those steps in a row, like, he backed the car out of the driveway. That's a genius. It's amazing. Oh my God, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, I hope my kids never do that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Okay, you know how your quickie was really fun and funny and upbeat? I mean, because he, you know, didn't get hurt and everything. Right. <laughs> it was fun and upbeat. Well, um, this, store, this quickie is not. Well, you know what? I don't want to be happy all the time. Good, because this is not a happy story. And it's not fun and upbeat. Um, but um, Aloma Curry Walker um, and Cleveland veteran firefighter William Walker were married for four months. Um, so they were newlyweds. And so you can imagine how upset Aloma was when she 
found out that her husband, her new husband, William Walker, returned home on November 23rd, 2013, um, and he was ambushed immediately and shot four times with a 9mm gun. Oh, my gosh. She rode with him to the... Um, Hospital in an ambulance, but he unfortunately passed away in the ambulance on the way there. Yeah, you weren't kidding. This is not this is not happy. It's not nice. It's not nice at all. Um, apparently, he was shot by um, 24-year-old uh, Ryan Doherty. Um, why would Ryan Doherty want to do such a thing? Yeah. Why? Well, turns out that he was hired by um, Chris uh, Chad Paget, who happened to be. Aloma Curry Walker's daughter's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Why would he hire someone to kill this man? Well, apparently Aloma, the newlywed, um, hired her daughter's boyfriend, Chad. He paid, offered him $1,000 as a down payment and promised another $9,000 to kill her husband. Why? Yes. Just don't get married. Paget. Um, Is this about money? Uh, yes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Did I spoil? Yeah. Did I spoil? <laughs> well, sorry. <laughs> um, it will pass. So Paget then, um, agreed to do it for the thousand dollars, but then he contacted his cousin, Chris Hine, who was 24 and he initially agreed to do it, but then he backed out and then Hine reached out to Ryan Doherty who agreed to kill Walker for less than a grand. He said he would do it for 800. So he was the lowest bidder. So he was like, oh, so the, the, the boyfriend, the daughter's boyfriend was just like, okay, she's going to give me a thousand or 10,000. Yeah. And I'm going to give him 800. Yeah. Oh, that's like, that's like a comedy booker. Well, it was kind of like a (laughs) telephone game of like hiring hitmen. Like, well, I'll do it for this. Well, I'll call this guy and he'll do it for this and I'll, and it just keeps getting watered down until. Right. Yeah. So, um, I was like, I don't have anything to do on a Tuesday. So sure. He said, actually, um, the guy, uh, Ryan Doherty, who did it for 800, said that when he testified, he said that he did it for 800 without hesitation. He said it just, he said it um, just seemed like he was really matter of fact about it. And was just like, it was just a job. Like, I was just hired to do it. Like, what's the big deal? Um, so these, um, so her paying these people to carry this out, you know, their lives are ruined, obviously. Like, Doherty pled guilty to aggravated murder. Hine pled guilty to aggravated murder and conspiracy. And Paget pled guilty to involuntary man- manslaughter and conspiracy. Conspiracy, But in exchange for their pleas against the woman that hired them, yeah. um, they'll reserve um, 23 years to life, 18 years to life, and 28 years to life. Um, so this woman will go to jail forever. Good. But... Um, Here's the thing. So she paid them to kill her husband for, you know, money, for life insurance, life insurance. money. But here's the thing. Walker um, was married prior, uh-huh. and he never changed the name of the beneficiary in his life insurance policy. So his ex-wife all, is the one that will inherit all of his money. Um, it's $100,000 plus his city pension. So she wouldn't have gotten the money Either anyway. way, this stupid, dumb, dumb, dumb lady who ruined, uh, who took a life and then ruined three other people's lives for, and she'll be in jail for nothing. 
Not that, you know, getting money justifies anything either, but I'm just saying she's... No. Maybe look into it first before you start hiring people to kill people. Right. Maybe be like, hey, can we review all of our, our financial status? Yeah. Do a little, do a little research. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, um, that's a real sad story. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Do you want a peanut butter cup? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Do you know how you just kind of depressed me with your story? It's my favorite thing to do. <laughs> I'm really good at it. I'm just so happy go lucky all the time that you're like, let's bring her down. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's well, why I'm, we balance each other out. Yeah. So you're so light and airy and bubbly and uh-huh. so morbid. Those people always say that about me. She's so light. <laughs> I've never been called bubbly in my life, I don't think. Really? No. Do you think find me bubbly? I mean, I, th- I definitely think of you as like sunshine really yeah oh that's so nice i'm real dark on the inside dude i'm dark on the outside (laughs) (laughs) um well then you're gonna love my crazy story hell yeah okay so this is the story of um jane alexander so jane she didn't think that she would spend her 70s um helping family members of crime victims solve their cases but that is where her life took her. Um, when Jane, Jane was actually married for 34 years, and um, in 19, but in 1977, her husband and the father of her six children died of a heart attack. Oh. I know, it's very sad. But her death, and her death, obviously, as it would, send her into depression. And, um, and she was there until an old family friend, Tom O'Donnell, came back into her life. And they had known each other for 25 years. He had been friends with her husband and her family. Um, but when they re-met, there was a spark, and um, and she actually credits him with helping her get over the death of her husband. Um, so they started dating, and within a few months, um, he moved in with her to her house in Marin County, California. Um, so in the early by the early eighties, Jane and Tom were just like a normal, happy couple. They had a vibrant group of friends. They traveled. They lived for about they had five a giant years. Cell phone. <laughs> She had a side ponytail and, <laughs> and really big shoulder pads. <laughs> they all wore LA gear. It was great. Yeah, it was a great. The 80s was a magical time. He, he gave her slap bracelets for <laughs> gifts. Um, so they lived for, for five years together. Um, and what Jane called, she said, it was a wonderful life. But then in 1983, her 88-year-old aunt, Gertrude McCabe, was murdered in her home. And Jane was once again devastated. And she was very close with her aunt because they were like, it was one of, she was one of, her aunt was one of the few family members she had left of her extended family. And they lived very close. And it was especially shocking because of the horrifying way that Aunt Gert was killed. Oh, geez. She'd been, this is going to be graphic, so I apologize. Um, She'd been bludgeoned, stabbed, strangled smothered with a pillow, and then choked with a bicycle chain. Oh, my God. This is an 88-year-old woman. Whoa. Um, so, and then her home had been ransacked, but nothing had been taken. The only thing that they could find that was of value that was missing was the registry for Gert's checkbook. Um, and police believed that this was a crime made to look like a random robbery. So as police investigated, they found that Tom and Jane were actually broke. And that Jane was the main benefactor of her aunt Gertrude's inheritance. Oh my god! So yeah, I so know. police like started, you know, they zero in on the investigation yeah. and they start looking at Tom. So and then in June of 1984, kind of as the investigation was heating up, Tom vanished, 
Um, Sure he did. Yeah. He left a letter for Jane saying that he was in danger from some old business partners and they had to leave. And so But he, he didn't take her with like you stay there. Yeah, he just like up and left. And and the night that Jane left, she realized was when she realized that she had no money. She didn't know before. Oh um, my god, can you imagine? Yeah. She told the police that Tom had been the one to handle her finances and that she her late husband had actually been a banker. And so she was like, I never dealt with money, which is like why you should always know where your money is. Like, ladies, guys, if you have a partner and you share accounts, you should know what is happening with your money. Um, I can't. I can't tell. I can't tell this story because it's a personal story for someone else to tell. But a friend of mine um, that she didn't know what was going on with her finances at all, and then she um, woke up one day to find out that her husband was in jail <gasps> and that he had spent all of their money on. Or I guess I am talking about. But yeah. I, I don't really talk to this person anymore. Yeah. But, um, so you guys wouldn't even know who this was. But it, So this is just a, a warning story. She had no idea. He took care of all of the finances. And um, she woke up one day to find out that he was in jail uh, for being with a prostitute. And he had spent all of their money on statutes. Oh, my goodness. And drugs. And so, and so her and her... A child were left with nothing. That is a, that's awful. It's horrible. So ladies, know where your money's coming from. Always yeah. know what the finances are like and know, have your own finances as yes. well. Always have safety money. I can't stress it enough. Yeah. Um, Always. Yeah, I'm saying that and I'm also looking at myself because money really scares me and Ben handles all the bills. Oh, really? But I do know where stuff is. Like yeah. I know what our, I do our taxes. So I know what all of our, where all of our accounts are and I know where yeah, we're well, at. Then that's, but, so you know where your money is. I know where my money yeah. is, but I also don't handle it and I could, I could definitely be more involved. Um, but I do also have my own account. Like I have, my money is in my, right, when right. I, yeah. So, but I, anyway, so just, yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to throw off the story. No, that's an amazing, of that. yeah. and that is a cautionary tale. So she didn't know where the money was. And, and while they were together, um, this had been uh, several years earlier, Tom had actually persuaded Jane to take out a second mortgage on her house, which was over $200,000. And Tom lost most of that money immediately in the stock market. And Jane actually knew about this loss, but she thought they were fine because Tom had told her that he had more than a million dollars coming in from a Swiss trust fund, which of course did not exist. Mm -hmm. Um, and in fact, the day he left, he, um, he stole $10,000 from her. <gasps> what a piece and of left. shit. But, and, but despite all of this evidence, which like left her completely broke, she ended up having to like, like sell her house and move in, um, to this little apartment, get another job. And she was at this point 70 or something. I mean, 70. Okay. Let's say, yeah. um, so, but she, despite all this evidence, she believed him. She believed that he was in danger and that's why he had left and taken the money. And she had just, she truly loved him. Oh my I God. I mean, she had known him for 25 years. She's like, this is impossible. He, he was my okay. friend and I was sleeping with him. He was my, you know, partner. Um, I mean, the police of course were like not smitten with this guy. They yeah. were like, they believed that Tom had killed Gert in hopes that Jane would inherit her money, which it turns out she didn't 
have barely any money. So um, Tom had an alibi, though. So they started looking into it. Tom had flown to Burbank the day before the murder and returned home the day after. So he wasn't in town. Although when police looked further, they discovered that Tom had driven 669 miles on his rental car, which is the exact distance from between Marin County where they lived and Burbank and back. Um, so they, all they, but this was all they had was evident for evidence was the rental car. So they were like, we don't have anything else. We don't have enough to charge him. So they were like, let's get Jane to file charges for the money that he stole. And then while he is being prosecuted for that, we can, um, find more, we can investigate the murder charge or maybe use that as like leverage. Um, but she, she refused. She wouldn't press charges. But then five months later, after Tom left, he sent Jane another letter. And this one now said that he was working for these people that he had been running from, that he was in danger with. And I think she just like, whatever it was, like this letter, like maybe it was just like the pure bullshit of it, like just snapped her out of her, this like hold he had on her. Yeah. And, um, and she decided to file charges. She was like, she said, I was so angry. He planned it down to the last detail and obviously had been planning it for weeks, maybe months. And all the time I've been living with him and I'm sleeping with this man and he's so comforting and so kind and so solicitous. How could I be so dumb? So Jane actually helped track him down. She like went to a friend of his and figured out like where, where, um, Tom was, he was in San Jose. And, uh, and so 18 months after he had disappeared, he was found guilty on four counts of fraud and was sentenced to four years in prison. But Jane, at that point, she was like, this is not enough. Like, she decided she was going to make it her mission to prove that Tom had killed her aunt. Wow. Get it. So. Hell yeah. She started gathering. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) She started gathering all the police reports and, um, and financial information that she could find and she found also found out that she was likely to be his next victim because he <gasps> had secretly taken out a million-dollar life insurance policy on her that oh she didn't God. know about. Um, life insurance, man. It just gets you every time, right? I know. I Just the word life insurance freaks me out. Like when my <laughs> husband was telling me about, you know, um, wanting there to be life insurance for him, like meaning if something happened to him, then I would be taken care of. I was right. like, don't do it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to sign anything. I don't want to be accused of anything. Let's not even talk about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he took out the policies, but I like, I want, I don't even want to like, I, I want to know nothing about it. Just right. in case, God forbid. You kill him and then you'll, yeah. that'll be the motive. Then everybody's going <laughs> to. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> um, so, okay. So she, she starts investigating and um, and it takes her years of searching and hounding the police, but she eventually discovers two important mistakes that Tom had made. So first, um, he had called his relatives the day after the murder and told them that he was finally able to repay the debt he owned them because Jane's aunt had died and he was she was going to inherit the money. But the aunt's body wasn't found until two days after the murder. So she, so she reports her finding to the detective who was working with her, who was on the case, Detective Jeff Wimet. Um, and then the second mistake was that Tom had told Jane's daughter-in-law the day after Gert's body had been found that Gert had been gar- garroted? Garrod. Garrotted. I don't know what that means. Well, either did the daughter-in-law. She didn't know oh, what the okay. term meant, so she wrote it down. But it actually is like being choked with something like 
um, like a cord or like and she is, was. And she was this one of those mistakes that we always say that people are always like reveal something about that isn't revealed in the yes. news. And yes, in exactly. Knowledge. So no, yeah, nobody knew because she had been grudged with the, the, um, the bicycle chain, but they'd never revealed that to anyone, not even the family. Oh my gosh. So the daughter-in-law like wrote it down, but then when it never kind of came, it never kind of came around. And so she, the, she was never interviewed and she didn't know it was important. So, um, until Jane got it out of her. Um, and so, so that was number two. And then detective we met actually discovered the third mistake. So Tom had told Jane that he'd found a missing, he'd found the missing check register um, in Gert's house in a bedroom drawer, like two weeks after the murder, he was like, Oh, I found it. That thing that was missing. And detective we met, like looked at the crime scene photos and there was actually in the drawer that he said he found it in, there was no register there. So obviously he had planted it after the fact because he knew the police were looking for it. So they were, he was like, he's so dumb. He should have just burned it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so by the time all of this evidence had been collected, it was almost 10 years later, and it was 1992. Um, so people had, they had like like a smaller cell phone now. Yeah, and, and color blocks, um, button down t-shirts. Yeah, they were like, she was like vanilla French. Vanilla ice hair. She was French rolling her jeans. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um so he had he was out of prison. Tom was out of prison. He had served only eighteen months um, for the fraud charges, and now he was living with a wealthy widow in Los Angeles. Of course, of course. Um, so in March of nineteen ninety two, police arrest him on first degree murder charges. And at trial, this was an, the trial wasn't until nineteen ninety six, but Jane was a prosecution's lead witness. Tom was found guilty and sentenced to twenty five years to life in prison. Um, he was up for parole in 2007, but he was denied. And then he died in prison in 2010. Good. And Jane said, um, you know, he was a great, great at con, but he not at murder. <laughs> like he's not a good murderer. Um, so then using Jane kept really extensive diaries throughout all of this. And then with her help, um, uh, author James D'Alessandro turned her book, her story into a true crime book called Citizen Jane. Um, and then it was turned into a TV movie on Hallmark. Um, on Hallmark? Yeah. <laughs> with Starring Lori Laughlin. Ali Sheedy. Oh, Ali Sheedy. I love yeah. Ali Sheedy. Uh, yeah, me too. I was like, ooh, I want to watch that. <laughs> I couldn't find it, though. Uh, but it also is kind of funny because they're much younger than they were in real life, like Ali Sheedy. And I can't remember the guy who played it. It wasn't anybody I recognized. But. So Jane actually went on to for, found the organization Citizens Against Homicide to help others solve the murders of their loved ones. And it's now a nationwide organization. It's in 50 states with more than 7,500 members. And in 2006, she, restri- Ugh, sorry. she received the prestigious Minerva Award for her, her efforts. She died in December of 2008 at the age of 86. Um, and at the time of her death, she was working on 500 open homicide cases and it helped solve more than 20 cold case murders. Wow. Yeah. So she, um, she was kind of a badass. She is a badass or was a badass. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, you yeah, know, Jane. a little, I guess, uplifting. She took, turned her lemons into lemonade. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sally. Yes, Jen. Okay. You know how I'm supposed to do the like uplifting love story? Please tell me you have an uplifting love now, story. I promise you... It is one, but there's going to be some times where you're going to be like, what? But you just have to <laughs> trust me on this. Okay. And you're I trust gonna have you. have to like, you know, B 
be in it to win it. I'm going to get you there. Okay. All right. I'm going to get you to where we want to go, which is to happy town. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to happy town. All right. Okay. So buckled up. In 2015, uh, restaurant manager Emma Perrier, and it's pronounced Perrier, because she is French. She's (laughs) French, but she lives in um, a a suburb southwest of London called Twickenham. She lives there, and she is, um, you know, recently single, like, mending a broken heart. Um, She just... Really wants to get back out there and find, you know, the love of her life. So she decides to download this app. It's called Zeusk. It's it's an online dating app. I guess it's popular in London because I've never heard of it, but I'm also not on dating apps. Right. I was going to say, I yeah. also wouldn't I have, know. I don't know. But apparently this, this app, Zeusk, they pride themselves on like making sure that the people, they have some kind of like selfie verification system where they say that if they, they make people take selfies and they verify that they are who they say they are. So you can't get catfished or whatever. Oh, okay. So I was um, like, do they, are they like calculating the distance between like arm and face? They're like, how far are we? Maybe make them hold up like a newspaper. Or maybe they put their, their driver's, their driver's license. license. I don't know. Um, it says that there's like a three selfie um, <laughs> system for um, verifying their identity. Who knows? So um, so she uses this app to find someone. And then one day she gets a message from a dark haired Italian named Ronaldo. Ron, he goes by Ronnie. Ronaldo. Oh, Ronaldo. Um, not Ronnie. Uh, I want to pronounce his na- last name right. It's a, I think it's Shishluna. It's S-C-I-C-L-U-N-A. Yeah, that sounds Does that exactly sound right. Shishluna. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm half Italian, so I'm probably right. You're probably like half right, at least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but she, um, it, it's a really handsome man that she says looks like her high school crush. Okay. And so, but the something about the way that the um, message was coming through, it was like on her phone was blurred for a little while. Like she, she all because she could see was his picture, but she couldn't see like what this message was until later that night. And she like went home and was, face, she has a twin sister and she went home and she was like FaceTiming with her sister, showing him all of his photos. And they were oogling over how handsome he was and how good looking he was. You know, he looked like someone that was like in commercials, just like a, like a movie star. Yeah. So the message finally came through. It materialized and it just said, you look beautiful, which is sweet. That and is so sweet. Uh, Ronnie was a four, 34-year-old electrician in England's West Midlands, which was 100 miles away from where she lived. Um, so they started talking, like they're both blue-collared workers, mm-hmm. you know, and they they had a lot in common. He tried to speak to her in French, and then she tried to speak to him in Italian, but she was surprised when, like, this Italian man couldn't speak Italian. Uh-huh. Um, his excuse was that his mother was English, and his father was Italian but spoke English. And he said that he only speaks Italian when he swears or curses, Okay, uh, which is... That the way I speak Italian. Yeah. <laughs> so they finally like go like they're messaging back and forth on this app, and then it finally develops into a you know a more intimate relationship, and they stop using the app, and they're just texting and they're calling and they're talking, would talk all night long, and they had cute little pet names for each other, and um, she really she called him Stinky, 
And he called her stinky. Um, but anyway, they wanted to, and they both agreed to delete the app because they didn't want to date anymore. They had found the one that they wanted to be with. So they only lived 100 miles away. Yeah. Um, and so she kept asking him, she wanted to see him. And she kept asking him to come meet her and, um, you know, let's get dinner. And uh, But he kept having excuses, like just spending time with my dad and, or, my you know, my mom's worried about me and I just need to spend more time with my family. And she's like, you know, well, what if you had a girlfriend to take care of you? You know, she just keeps pressing on. Like right. she just wants to meet him and she doesn't understand why he doesn't want to meet her. She asks him to FaceTime. He doesn't want to FaceTime. He says it's something that only teenagers do and he doesn't want to do that. And they keep saying how much, but he keeps telling her how much she loves him and um, he loves her and yeah. she keeps telling him how much she loves him. And she even like talks about him to her coworkers. She works at an Italian restaurant and they're like, yeah, dude, this guy's... Probably not who he says. Okay, he is. Like, I was yeah. like, good. I'm, I'm like, because that's what I'm. Thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, yeah. So everybody <laughs> is like, the fact that he doesn't want to meet you and you live a hundred miles away, right? And like, it's pretty obvious red flag, that red flag, red this flag. isn't who he says he's going to be. But the app did say that they have a system for it has to be the person it says that they are. So. Then six months go by, and they still haven't met, and her family thinks she's crazy, her coworkers think she's crazy, and, you know, she didn't want to listen to them, but then finally, like, one night, she decided to use an, another app, her iPod, called uh, Reverse Image Search, okay. which you've heard of it, right? Yes. Yeah. So she puts the, his profile picture into the reverse image search, and it comes out that um, all these photographs from a model, an actor that um, from Turkey. Okay. So it's a man named Adem Guzel. And so she was confused and was like, what the heck, um, you know. Uh, Ronnie. What the heck, Ronnie? So she messages Ronnie and asks him, like, do you want to tell me anything about this guy, Adem Guzel? And then he tells her, that's me. Um, that was an old name that I used to use for modeling and it was a long time ago. And so she, so like he still wasn't telling the truth, but she still wanted to believe in the fantasy. So she kept like, she, she took his word for it and she was like, okay, well if you say so, you know, Adem, whoever you are. But then like after a while, things started not adding up. Like for instance, um, Ronnie's computer broke. And um, he got a new computer, but he set it up using his personal email address, not this fake one that he had made to support who he said he was. So when she got a message um, from Ronnie, like Ronnie talking to her, it was coming up that it was from a man named Alan Stanley. Uh, Right, Alan Stanley. Let's find out who you are. Yeah, Alan Stanley. So she um, called him out on that also, and he said that, no, I bought this computer from someone else, and they must have, I haven't changed it yet, I guess. So I guess that's who Alan Stanley is. So after a while, she starts to do her own investigation. She's pulling a jank. She's okay. pulling a Jane on All right, Jane. All right. So she, um, he had sent her a photograph from um, a, an aquarium that he went to of a fish, um, the Finding Nemo fish. Uh-huh. And so she... I'm familiar. Are you? Yeah. The clownfish. And so she took the photo and put that into the reverse image app, and it came out that it was a picture on a TripAdvisor review of the aquarium, but the, it, it, the review was, it says it was written by Alan S., 
Uh-huh. Yeah. Bum, bum, so bum. she called him out. That's Alan Stanley. Do you want to know who Alan Stanley was? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. So Alan Stanley was actually a 53-year-old shop fitter, um, which is, I guess, a decorator of retail stores. Okay. They call that a merchandiser here in the States. <laughs> um, but Alan uh, lived alone in Stratford. And he was, he made up this alter ego, Ronnie, who was like a ladies' man, charming and attractive. And it was everything that Alan uh, was not. He said that he wasn't feeling the most attractive of people, you know, and he struggled with self-confidence. So, and he was going through a messy separation. He just said he just felt like he needed somebody to talk to. So he he was like, I know what I'll do. Yeah. I'll catfish someone. Totally. He was married for 22 years and this marriage failed. Uh, He also has an adult daughter. And he said that he just found himself completely uninterested in the opposite sex after his divorce failed, but that he just like wanted to talk to people. That's what he says. Uh So he just decided to make up these, uh, this fake profile. If you want want to talk talk to people, people. you don't, you don't become a, Turkish model. Yeah, totally. Like, Just that's talk not to, to talk. somebody. Yeah. So when Emma finally realized what was going on and that he was this guy, Alan Stanley, she flipped out and told him, like, don't ever talk to me again. And and he was so apologetic. He was very, very apologetic. And mm-hmm. he said he told her everything that, you know, he felt like such a, like, they both felt like fools. They cried. He told her he was 50, but really he's 54. So he, even when he's telling her the truth, he's not really telling her the truth. Right. She dis- wants this Adem Guzel to know that this guy is using his picture to catfish women. So she decides to contact him, and she wrote him a message on Facebook. And Adam, who was living in an apartment in um, Istanbul at the time, he was, like, laying at home, and he didn't feel good. He said he was sick. And um, he gets this message from a woman, Emma, telling Mm -hmm. him that, you know, I was catfished. They used, this guy used your picture. And he said that this had actually happened before. Right. Um, He's like, oh, I'm so handsome. Yeah. (laughs) But his, um, but it always happened like in his country and his manager would always take care of it and handle it or whatever. So the fact that like this woman from England was reaching out to him, he thought it was a little bit strange, but he said like, I didn't feel good. I didn't want to talk to anybody, but for some reason, he just, something in his ear was telling him to pick up the phone. He sexually gets out of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Towels off. And, uh, the music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the calls her. Um, so, they, um, so they wrote back and forth and then they actually, she, and she was like, he was you know, telling her, I'm so sorry this happened to you. And she goes, how can I even know that you're who you say you are? And so right away, um, they do a face time call like a video call and it you know it proves that he is who he said he was so she's like of course immediately like in tears and in love because she's like oh my god you are real and it's like yeah he's a real person but he's not the person you've been talking to that was paul s yeah or alan stanley yeah alan s not paul stanley paul stanley is a is he in kiss What's that? I think Paul Stanley is in Kiss. Yeah, Paul Stanley is in Kiss. So I'm pretty sure so it wasn't, wasn't Paul Stanley. Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Adem was, you know, a, a model, and he wanted to be an actor. And um, it says here that he refused uh, to enter 
a Turkish reality show, uh, which he said, because it ca- operated on a casting couch basis. Oh, okay. So I mean, like, they wanted him to do it. Yeah, they wanted him to do, do it. He wouldn't do it. Okay. So he, because he didn't want to do this reality show, he, like, took a break from acting and modeling and then moved into his friend's apartment as a temporary manager. So that's what he, where he was at with his life. And right away, he's very open with talking to her, FaceTiming. He even FaceTimes with her twin sister. You know, he's just, like... He is who he says he is. He yeah. puts it all out there and they talk. Um, so, But after a while, their conversation actually fizzles out and they kind of stop talking. So in November of 2016, because of the long relationship that they had, um, Emma and Alan, as, uh-huh. you know, of like this like friendship that they had formed, yeah. they both thought that it was really important to have some kind of a closure and meet face to face. So he took a train over to where she lives and they met. He he says the hug went on for a minute and it was very quite tearful when they finally met each other. And then they like walked and talked all night long. Can you give me a visual of what he looks like? Because I am picturing like um, Tommy Rizzo. (laughs) Who? Um, From The Room. Nope. Yep. I don't know who that is. You don't know? You've never seen The Room? I don't think so. Oh, Sally. Oh, holy shit. We have to stop. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, when this podcast is over, I'm going to make you watch The Room. I cannot believe you don't know who Tommy Wiseau is and you've never watched The Room. No. Holy, it's like the best worst movie ever made. Oh, no. I do know who you're talking about. Was there a, did they make a movie about him with, um, um, that one dude. What's it? I'm Franco. So, yes. Yes. James Franco. Okay. No, him. I do yeah, know what yeah, that yeah. guy. Okay. I've never seen the room, but I do know what the guy looks like. So that's okay. what Alan oh, S. looks like. No, Alan yeah. S. Gross. Sorry. So um, Gross. they like walked around um, a lined pathway that's actually known as um, Lovers Walk. They walk around Lovers Walk. And um, and actually, Alan S. says, according to his Fitbit, it was 20,000 steps. And it was the longest and best walk of his life. So they talked and talked. And he says that, he oh, he goes, it was a perfect night. She paid for dinner that evening, Italian restaurant in Paddington. That's what made it a perfect night for you is that she paid for your dinner. Right. You hobo. <laughs> Hobo. That's with a B. Hobo. (laughs) And so... uh, (laughs) So they had this, like, romantic walk or whatever, but nothing really happened, but they still um, kept meeting um, up. They couldn't kind of erase each other from their lives. They bought each other gifts. It was a relationship that was built, you know, on friendship. On a pack of lies. On a pack of lies, yeah. According to Alan, he says that, you know... Their fr- it was like a you know a very pure beautiful friendship, but Emma just like couldn't get the lies out of her head. Like she still couldn't really forgive him for the fact that he was like a way older than he said he was. He right. was actually two years younger than her dad, and b that he had lied so many times. And c that he looked like a real creeper. Right, right. And then of course she was like, but that Adam guy, he's pretty. <laughs> so. She keeps thinking about Adem, you know, this hot, hot hot Turkish model. Yeah. So they start talking again and they strike up another uh, sort of flirty texting exchange. And then she decides to send 
Alan a goodbye text message. And in her goodbye text message, which she sent on March 31st, 2017, was, Alan, I wanted to tell you that tomorrow I'm going to pack up, pick up a dem at the airport. And I still don't know if it's good or bad, but I'm going to meet my quote unquote, Ronnie, my Ronnie, Uh you built up all this shit. I'm not sure if I should thank you or detest you for that, but this is happening. So on April Fool's Day, 2017, could you pick a better day, (laughs) Lady Catfish? (laughs) Um, So on April Fool's Day, um, she waited for a dem, um, which I guess I, I like totally skipped over the fact that she'd invited a dem to come visit her in London and he immediately agreed. Um, whereas, you know, she couldn't even get Ronnie right, to, to like have dinner. For, like, yeah. Take a train ride down. So he immediately comes, she goes to pick him up. And when, um, they met and they were both kind of shaking, they were nervous or whatever. It and then when they Alan. go, huh? And Alan walks off the plane. No, oh, okay, no good. Alan. <laughs> and so, um, then, um, and she said that when he got there, um, she couldn't believe he was even like taller than she thought and even more handsome than she thought. And then when they were waiting for their, the car to come pick the, for the Uber to come pick them up, she just turned around and laid a big one on them yeah. and just smooched him right up. And then she says, three minutes later, I felt like, uh, he said, three minutes later, I felt like I've known her a long time. And then she immediately gave him a key to her apartment and they like, you know, toured the city together and spent like a week together in her, uh, a London apartment. Mm. And they have been together ever since. Wow. And they've gone, um, I feel like I did that like really anticlimactically at the end. But I mean, that's really kind of like, so then they met and then they immediately fell in love and they've been together ever since. And they've, they've actually gone on like a tour interviews on TV. You can, if you Google them, you can see them like talking about how their, uh, the catfish turned into real romance and they love each other very much. But this is a love story and they're, they are madly in love. Yeah. It is a positive story, right? Except for the catfishing thing. But there's something that I just, it doesn't sit well with me, which is like her like basing love purely on what this guy looks like. You know what I mean? Oh, right. I feel like. But maybe that's not the case. I mean, maybe if he had been like a total dud when she'd talked to him. Maybe, I guess. But she says that like he is a very different person than the the who she thought was Ronnie, that Ronnie was very arrogant and like more confident and a little bit loud and obnoxious sort yeah. of, and that Adem is very like quiet and reserved. And so it's like, so if the personalities are so different, the one factor that you just like are so head over <laughs> heels for is the fact that he's like smoking hot. And I'll post a picture of the both of them for sure. And he basically, he looks like a... Turkish Josh Hartnett. He's like very okay. handsome. All right. Well, but you know. I don't know. I'm being a hater. I'm being a hater. They love each other. They found each other. It all worked out. They're in love. I mean, I thought I thought it was going to end up with Alan, and I was like, this see, is that's not... what I was saying. It keeps going back and forth. Yeah, that's I was like, I, was I saying, can't, you I can't get on board with this. Stay with me on this one. But um, I have my doubts. But you really came through in the end. Yeah. And look at us. And in, then, in Happy Town. And since they went on around to different television stations doing these interviews yeah. about their love, it is uh, a lot of people saw it, and it has since come out that like there's a handful of women that have reported these fake 
being catfished by Alan. Oh, S. by Alan? Yes, by him in particular. So his whole little thing about being like, I'm just a sad old man who never near me. I never love her. It's bullshit. And he's just doing this to a lot of people. Well, so. I just feel like. I know this is going to be wrong because we're always asking people to rate and review, but I feel like if you're writing reviews regularly on TripAdvisor, <laughs> you're probably Showing a bad person. The fish that you saw. <laughs> like, yeah, there's fish there. It's an aquarium. Yeah, it's like, fun. come on. It's like you just want attention. So, yeah, I believe that he was a catfisher. <laughs> yeah, he is a catfisher. Um, well, that's an amazing, crazy story. I hope I did okay. It's like, okay, let me just do a real quick. I need to shout out to, this was written by uh, Jeff Mache, um for The Atlantic is the main article that I got most of my information from. So I apologize for um, butchering his well-written story. So I hope that I did Okay, staying linear. No, I think you did great. Okay. Well, thanks, um, Atlantic. <laughs> thank you, Atlantic, for all of your good reporting. Um, do you, Should we do things we that are dumb and things that we love? Sure. Um, okay, so my thing that is dumb is my kid. That. <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> no, it's just that he... Um, I love my kid. I love my kid so much. Um, he has not been sleeping well, Aww. which is like... He's just always been a bad sleeper, and but like the last week, he's just been like up a million times at night, and then up really early in the morning, and it just makes me feel crazy. So that is my dumb thing. I don't really have anything I love about it. Right. I, there's yeah. It's just that that sometimes kids, sometimes kids are not fun to have. No. Um, but he's amazing. But he's but he's great. No, I, he's love, him. I love him. I love him. I love him so much. Whole world. But the thing I love is a TV show which is all I can do because I'm so brain dumb from not um, being able to sleep. And Ben turned me on to this show called Gourmet Makes. Have you heard oh, of it? Oh, no. But is it a food show? It's a food show. I it's a, food It's from shows. Bon Appetit. Apparently, it's a YouTube show oh, that is okay. now on Amazon. And it's this woman who's so charming. And she's um, you know, a food tester. And she works in the Bon Appetit kitchen, test kitchen. And she makes like gourmet Doritos or gourmet like candy. Like she'll be like, just takes it from the beginning and has to like figure out what it's made of. And it's just her like this whole process of trying to make these like junk food into That's something so gourmet. Cool. And it's so entertaining. And I've just, it, I've gotten so much joy out of it this week. I love food While shows. I've been exhausted. Oh, me too. That oh, was man. like, when I was pregnant, I couldn't, like I didn't have cravings except for food shows. Like uh -huh. I couldn't watch anything else because I was too sensitive and I would cry at like anything. Oh really? And so I could only watch food shows and now it's kind of like continued. I, I love a good food show. Oh I wow. I watch them all. Well then I'm it's so I'm going to piggyback off of both of your things. Okay. Cuz I'm the worst. Okay, so <laughs> something I love, I'm going to Okay, I've been watching um I, I, I got to be honest, I went into the show thinking like, okay, I can't, I'm going to watch the show and hate it. Uh -huh. Just like ready to hate it. Was The Chef Show, which with John Favreau. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched it um, for the same reason. Yeah. Well, just because I was like, I think I'm going to No, it made me love him. <laughs> yeah. Okay, the first episode's not so great because Gwyneth Paltrow is kind of aloof on it and is like, mm -hmm. well, what are we doing? Like at one point <laughs> she was like, what do you mean I was in Spider-Man? Oh, that was Spider-Man? Like just like <laughs> gooped up. Um, but anyway, so that, the first episode, get past that first episode, but the rest of them 
I was so into it. I was so into John because of how passionate he was. Yeah. And I was so interested in, um, God, I can't remember his name, the other chef that is with him that, um, that was the, the chef that was like, that he had, um, consulted with and did all the consultation for the movie chef. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and just their passion and then all the people, it, it just, just made me really happy. And, and I, and I had no idea, like Robert, Robert Rodriguez, who is one of my favorite directors, there's an episode with him on it and he's a real big foodie and like cooked them pizzas out of his kitchen. Oh, that's cool. And, um, and I just loved how passionate they were about film and, and food and just life. And it made me so happy and it made me love all of them so hard. And there's one in like in Atlanta, right? Yeah. They, they filmed it, um, at the optimist at the optimist, which you recently wrote an article on. I did. I interviewed the chef there. That's right. Mm -hmm. So they had him on the show and it was like, and it was a great show. And then they had all the people from, um, the Avengers were like in the restaurant sitting down, having a meal. It was great. I really, I, so I recommend that show. Okay. Um, and then, so the thing that's dumb, which I was going to say the same thing as dumb, also, is that I have had the worst insomnia the last week. I just cannot fucking sleep, and it's torture, and I think that's why I butchered the last story so hard, <laughs> and I apologize. They're going to be a gnome. Edit up. It's going to be great. Yeah, edit the shit out of that shit. But I, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's just been one of those, you know. We got a lot going we on. We got a lot going on. We're moms. We have jobs. We have comedy. We do stand-up. We have... The podcast, yeah. which I think I'm just like obsessed with the podcast right now that I can't sleep. Yeah, I think so too. So, <laughs> and we hope you guys like it. Yes. So if you do, please let like rate us or review us or something to let us know. But uh, thank you guys for listening. Send us your stories. Do all the things. We love you guys. Go out there and do something dumb for love. We'll see you next week. Dun, dun.